Well, we're in this series called Now What? And the playoff of this was uh, to ask that all-important question that after going through a really tiring and um, uh, combative campaign season for president, the question is, now what? Now what do we do? Now what do we do? And uh, play off of this a little bit. Last week we talked about what we need to do as a nation, and I, and I led us to a time of that we need to go to Second Chronicles seven fourteen that we as a nation, as a people of God, we need to repent because we need to get back into harmony. We need to get back into loving relationships with one another. This week, um, the, the playoff of it is a word for our new president, but it's also a, a word for all of us, and it's not just a message for one individual, it's for all of us, because that's what the gospel does. It transforms all of us, and next week, we're going to talk about a word for the people of St. Paul, which is to refocus, but today's about renewal and, and what that means, and, and as I begin with that, um, I want to ask you a question. How is it that you get your daily news? Uh, do you get it by the newspaper, or do you watch like the endless 24-hour un unending newscasts of, of some of the uh, things that we see on television or a podcast, or uh, get it from some talk shows? But the question becomes, where do you get your news? And, and uh, wherever we get our news, what we hear is we hear a lot about the state, not only of our country, but we hear a lot about the state of our world, and we hear some pretty scary things. And when we talk about how God calls us to love one another, how God calls us to love our neighbors ourselves, um, sometimes I kind of wonder about the things that I hear or read in the paper or see on television and listen to some commentators. I kind of wonder if we're really aspiring for that goal as a people of the world to love one another as, um, as, as our neighbor and as ourself. Uh, but what I see in the paper is I see some pretty, some pretty aggressive things like North, Carolina, North uh, Korea, North Carolina, North Korea trying to get a nuclear weapon. Well, I, sometimes I guess when the demon deacons play the, uh, anyway. But, um, but, you know, North Korea is trying to get a nuclear weapon. We, we read about that. We, we read about how um, the First Nation people of our country uh, were trying to, were going to be driven from their homeland, land that had been given to them because they wanted to you know, bring up a new fuel source. And we see constantly the badgering and the bickering of the things that go along. And sometimes you kind of wonder, where are we in, in, a, in a day today with our ability to have justice with one another? And justice is a huge issue. And it's something that um, is something at our forefront. And it's something that that's oftentimes we find in our families that we're confronted with. Today is a day and every day forward, in my opinion, that, that we, the church, the voice of the people of the church, need to be the moral compass of our world today. And what I mean by the moral compass is, is we need to be calling for social justices. We need to be calling for the way to where we can live into that great commandment of Jesus, to where we're not leaving somebody behind, but we're actually finding ways to love each other. And we're seeing the, the validity of that, even in our own ability to love ourselves. Well, Micah is, is the prophet that we're going to read about today, and, and Micah found himself uh, living in a, in a time frame back in 750 B.C. Um, he was living in a time frame that was a lot like ours today. It was a time frame where the people of uh, Jerusalem were having uh, some problems. The northern and southern kingdoms had been split. Jerusalem had been uh, ransacked and fallen. There was a migration of immigrants from the northern to the southern kingdom. The political infrastructure was challenged. Uh, politicians were taking bribes and and lots of things that were happening. And Micah was speaking a word of God in a time of his country, in a time of his nation that I think is a word that is timeless for us today. And Micah was saying that his heart was breaking 
because of what he felt God was commanding the people to do and how God was commanding the people to live, that they were turning a blind eye to that. And Micah comes to us today and he says that life is really not about our personal desires or actions. Yes, we're to have goals. Yes, we're to have aspirations. But if what we're doing comes at the expense of someone else, and if it puts someone else in a harder predicament, then, then we're supposed to look secondly at that. We're supposed to take another look. And we're supposed to ask ourselves the question, is what we're trying to strive for to help build ourselves up worth hurting somebody else? And that's where we find Micah today in our reading. And I'm going to take you to this. And, and this is the, uh, the catalyst of where I want to build the message from today. Um, he says here in chapter 6, verses, uh, uh, verse 8, he says, um, how has God shown you, O man, what is good? And he, and he says, God has already shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you, he asks. And listen to this. What does God require of all of us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God? To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. So we see this powerful testimony to, to, to act justly, to love mercy, to, to walk humbly with God. And we find out that, that those are the things that we're supposed to be thinking about. Every decision that goes through our mind every day, we should be asking ourselves, what is it that the Lord requires of us? And it is, it is required, the scripture says, that our thoughts move us in that direction to what is uh, to love mercy, to act justly, and to walk humbly before God. And when we do those kinds of things and the outpouring of our actions when we love mercy and justice and walk humbly before God, we begin to see that those are the things that please God. And we certainly want to do the kinds of things in our life to please God in the greater capacity so that we fulfill why he created us in the first place. Well, Micah found himself smack dab in the middle of a time where, where people were, were neglecting their fellow citizen. He found it to where, um, like I said, people were trying to get ahead and others were being put down. Widows and orphans and, and people experiencing poverty, people that um, were moving from their one land into another. And they were trying to get an idea of how do we come back together as a nation and as a people. And as Micah began to look at and observe how the people were working and not working together, his heart was broken. It was broken because he knew that they were beginning to stray away from what God had called them to do. That God said, every day, think about those attributes of loving mercy, acting justly, and walking humbly before God. And it was obvious that that's not at all what God's people were doing. Today, I, I want us to do something. I, I want us to kind of um, uh, put put aside our political thoughts. I want us to put aside our political party affiliations. Because what identifies us in this room is not a political party. What identifies us in our, in our life is, is called our baptism. We are identified as the people of God through our baptism. And the law of what we are to strive for is the law of what God commands of us. Yes, we live in a world, we live in a country with laws. I'm not saying disobey those by any means. But we need to make sure that we're following the royal law. That at the end of the day that we can say to ourselves that my life today was a living witness of what God requires of me, to love mercy, to act justly, and to walk humbly before God. So, so when we think about these words that Micah says, um, he says to us that God has repeatedly shown you what is good. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can be hard-headed. Ask, ask my wife. She'll, say, she'll probably tell you yeah, this whole weekend he's been hard-headed, and I won't tell you why. 
But, but you know, sometimes we're hard-headed, and sometimes we've got to be reminded of what it is that we're supposed to do. And I love what Micah points out here. He says, we no longer have to wonder, because God repeatedly tells us what it is. He's shown us what we are to do, and the good things that are to come to that. And he says that there is no guessing at all that God commands us to live into, to act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly before him. And there should be no question as to what that is. God calls us and, and puts before us the measure to do good. Now, what does do good mean? I probably would have a thousand different definitions uh, today about what doing good means. Here's my definition that I think is what the biblical definition of good is and doing good. It means doing no harm to someone else. So doing good isn't something about that I'm keeping the rules and regulations and that my, I'm doing good by getting my homework done and those things. Doing good in a biblical sense means that what you're doing will bring no harm to someone else. And that's a foundation of who we are as a Christian people. And what that tells us is, yes, we follow the laws of the land and the nation and all those kind of things, but what it says to us is that sometimes doing good goes beyond what our government can say we can and cannot do. That there are times in our nation when we who are Christians, that our voice needs to pronounce a direction in which we should head. That we are called to make sure that the entire world knows the importance of the call and the direction of who we are as Christians, which is fulfilled in this passage of Micah 6.8. So we are to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before the Lord. Here's a couple of things that I think this means for us this morning. So as you think of this, think about it as what it means to you as an individual, what it means to you as a Christian, what it means to us as a church, what it means to us as a nation, even a people of the world. And hear how we interpret uh, those words of Micah 6, 8. And the first is we are called to have a heart of compassion, a heart of compassion for the marginalized and the oppressed. The marginalized and the oppressed are to be on the forefront of our mind. You see, people are supposed to be more important than our own self. We learn that in the example of Jesus that Paul tells us in Philippians where Jesus um, considered himself amongst equal but, but withdrew from that. And he humbled himself and became obedient even upon death on the cross. So that piece of humility, Paul also says that we should never think of ourselves more highly than others. And what he's trying to do is to place a radar in our mind that we are consciously seeking and searching for those who are living in the margins, those who are on the threshold, those who are about ready to fall off that people are ignoring and nobody seems to be able to see. When the crowds gathered around Jesus that day on the mountainside, Jesus began to turn the gospel message what I call topsy-turvy. He began to lead God's people into a way that wasn't a whole bunch of rules about don't, 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 but more about do. And here's a couple of things that he said. He said, we need to start remembering the other people that are around us. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed for those who are weak, for they will inherit the earth. The entire pieces of what we see in the gospel story are built upon those words themselves that we are to bless and to see blessed those that are hurting those that are marginalized and have compassion on the hearts of those that are out there why because so often they're overlooked 
You know, our minds are trained to see the kinds of things that we like, the kinds of things that we enjoy. We gravitate to those things. If you have a job, the odds are that, yes, you know what your description is of your job, but during the day, you probably find yourself moving away from the things you're required to do to the things that you want to do. And life is the same way for us. Sometimes, or in most instances, we likely want to move in the direction of doing the things that we like, which is to see the kinds of things that we want to see. And oftentimes that puts at expense the things that aren't very nice to look at, the things we're hurt and, and problems are. The Proverbs urges us, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And James admonishes us with these words where he says, true religion and undefiled before God is to care for the widow and to care for the, and to care for the orphan. If we use Jesus as the model, God in skin as the model of the faith that we confess, we will know exactly what it is we're supposed to do when it comes to seeking and finding and being in ministry and loving those who are marginalized and those who are oppressed. God's heart was there, was it not? Jesus ate with sinners. He, he began to move around with the outcasts. He was seen with those that he wasn't supposed to be seen with. He even gravitated to heal those who were told there was no hope because no one wanted to come near them. And he expressed the heart of God himself to the point when he went to the cross. And I'm convinced that's one of the great reasons why John gives us a, a Christological look at who God is through Jesus in his gospel. And why John points out that Jesus went directly through Samaria to get to Jerusalem in the cross. Why did he do that? Why didn't he take the long way around to avoid all of those areas that they were told not to participate with? I believe what he was doing was he was cutting through Samaria to demonstrate to us that the cross was for all people and that even those living in the margins, those that had been forgotten, those who were told that there was no hope at all for their future. The second thing that I think we learned from Micah's words today uh, might be a playoff of some slogans that we've heard. I don't know. But as I read the scripture, I think these words are very justifiable. We learn by acting justly and, and loving mercy and, and, and walking humbly before God. When we look at the heart of Jesus, when we look at who God interacted with while he was here on earth, I truly believe we are called to tear down the walls that divides God's people and instead build bridges. We're to build bridges to people. We're not supposed to make ourselves to where we cannot be touched by others. When we look at the entire gospel message, we find out what are those things that, that build walls against us. We begin to start looking at ways we can point out faults in others, our ethnicity, our sexual orientation, our gender, our race, the language that we speak, our church doctrines, all of those things we choose to use to build walls against each other so that you can stay your safe distance away from me. But whenever I read the gospel, I don't see walls. I see bridges. I see Jesus moving out into the world, building bridges, connecting people to the heart of God in some powerful ways. Let me give you a couple of examples. We know that in John's gospel that, that Jesus goes to a well. And who does he meet at a well? He meets a Samaritan woman. Who was a Samaritan woman? Samaritans were hated by the Jews. So therefore, Jesus' own culture in which he was raised, he was not supposed to associate with any Samaritans, let alone a Samaritan woman who had multiple husbands. But yet Jesus doesn't build a wall and cast her away. He builds a bridge to her. And he says to her, if you will understand the water in which you're drinking, that I am the one of living water. I am the living source that you need to abide in me. That's a bridge that's being built. 
How about Zacchaeus, one of the great criminals that we saw in that earlier time? Nobody liked Zacchaeus. Uh, he was robbing people. He wasn't um, measuring things in the proper scale, and he was jipping people out of their fair share. Jesus doesn't build a wall and, and avoid Zacchaeus. Instead, he builds a bridge. And he comes to Zacchaeus and he says, because I want to get to know you in a deeper way and because I want the world to know that God has a love even for you, Zacchaeus, I'm going to have supper in your home today. We see other examples that come where, where in, in Samaria, where, where Jesus comes to the lepers and lepers were the ones with the various diseases that were seen as unclean. And they were not supposed to come near any other person. And if they did, they were to be cursed. In fact, their label was to shout at others, unclean so that you would hear in a great distance, yards away, to know not to go near that person. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't build a wall and say, stay away from me, lepers. He builds a bridge. He goes and he begins that process of healing. And he lets them know that there's scars and their wounds and all of the things that are about them, that there is a, that there is a um, possibility of, of greater things that will come. We also see at the time of his death, Jesus knew that in order to bring people to the heart of God, there needed to be a bridge that was there. So what did he do? He stretched out his arms. And his arms represented the image that I see of people traveling to the heart of God and coming as part of building a bridge. And lastly, an example that I'll throw before you as to why I think God wants us to build bridges is when you think about even in the Holy of Holies of the sacred temple, at the moment that Jesus gave up his life, what happened? The temple curtain, which was built to separate as a wall between the temple and holy place of God versus God's people. The temple veil was torn from the top to the bottom. Heaven tore it so that way we would know that God has a bridge that is built to him, even in the most holy of holies of places. Why? With Jesus, there's no walls. Because that's what God wants God wants us to be a people of building bridges. He wants us to make sure people know what it means to know and live into and abide in the gospel message. Here's the third thing that I think we learned this morning about mercy and walking humbly before God also means that, that part of our life's mission is that you and I are called to bind up the wounds of those that are hurting. We're to bind up the wounds of those who are hurting. Here's what the psalmist says. He said, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. God binds the wounds of the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. You know, what does that look like to you and me? Well, maybe, maybe our woundedness comes relationally. Maybe we're wounded because of a relationship that we're in or the relationship that we've just gotten out of. Or maybe we're wounded because we dearly, deeply want to be in a relationship, but we can't find that person. We, the church, are to bind up the wounds of that person. Maybe we're going through a health crisis in our life and the goals in the life and the aspirations of all the things that we had set forward for ourselves and our illness is not allowing us to get to the place that we thought we would need to be. Maybe that illness is causing us to fall into a life of depression. Maybe it's maybe asking the question of whether or not our life should even go on. We, the church, are to come alongside and bind up the wounds of those who are hurting and remind them that they are created in the image of God. And whatever their circumstance might be in their time of infirmity, that God's love is vast and real and that we can bring those means of grace to them. Maybe you're a person who, who's been wondering about um, whether or not you'll be accepted in a Christian church. Maybe because of, uh, of your life or choices or, or things that have happened in your life, can you walk into the doors of a church? We, the church, are called 
to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted. We're called to come alongside of others, and we're called to remind them of the deep and abiding and love of grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. God word says through Micah, we don't need to ask what are we supposed to do. He says, God has already told you what to do and says that whatever it is that we are to to have uh, mercy and act justly and love mercy and to walk humbly before God. Let me share with you a story about binding up the wounds of the brokenhearted. A man was uh, dying of AIDS and he was in a um, hospital in his final days. And while he was there, um, his family had uh, made it quite, quite clear that they may or may not come visit him because they didn't agree with, with who he had become. They, they didn't agree with how he had contracted this disease. And, and they had all their own thoughts about judgment against him. So he sat there alone in, in his hospital room. While he was there, the hospital chaplain came by and pulled out and looked at the uh, script of if what was going on with his patient, looked at the folder, put it back in, would not enter the room, but stood in the doorway and shouted to the man, hey, Joe, hope you're doing well today. You're going to beat that thing called AIDS. We've got some great stuff here at this hospital. Don't worry. You're going to walk out of here a, a, a healthy man. See you later, brother. I'm praying for you. And they left. Well, his family finally did come, his mom and dad, and they stood in the doorway as well. And as they looked at their son whose life was ebbing away, they began to just think about what were were the words that they could say. And what they said to him was, well, maybe at the time of death you'll be be free. We don't know what's going to happen to you, son. But whatever it is, you just need to trust God. And they left. Just before he died, one of his nurses entered the room. She walked over and she could see him struggling for his breath. She picked him up and she laid down in the bed beside him and she tucked his head next to her arm and she began to stroke his head and she began to whisper into his ears, God loves you. You're a child of God. You'll be okay. You'll be free. And just as she said those words, he died and his life was ended. A couple of days later, she came back on duty and one of her colleagues said, What were you thinking? That person had AIDS. Don't you know you could have contracted that by just a small cut or or something could have, you, you could have gotten AIDS. Why would you put yourself at risk? Aren't you silly that you did that? And she said, you know what? She said, I, I, I don't know why I did what I did. I, I just, as I began to think about it, I, I went home that day and I must have showered four or five times because I just wasn't really sure. But then it dawned on me why I did what I did. I did what I thought Jesus would do. This woman had compassion. And that's what God says. He calls us to have compassion and to bind up the hearts of those who are in need. The psalmist writes, the Lord built up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. You know, Micah's words are so important for us. It's just not a prophet of 750 B.C. that maybe we might read about. They're relevant to today, aren't they? These are words that are powerful that call us into accountability. And the only way you and I will be accountable to those kinds of words, to act justly and love mercy and and to walk humbly before God, the only way we'll be held accountable for that is that we have a renewal in our heart. And once our hearts are renewed we can begin to see the world through the lens that God wants us to see it. 
and that we are to be bridge builders and that we are to have compassion on those living in the margins and those easily forgotten.